0: Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast. It's July 17th, my birthday, and I'm Kimberly Johnson in D.C., and today I'm going to be chatting with author and lawyer Terry Canefield. She writes novels, short stories, nonfiction for both young readers and adults, and as she says, lots of legal briefs. Yes, she does. For 12 years, she maintained a private appellate law practice limited to representing indigents on appeal from adverse rulings. Her analyses on the Trump administration and her advice on how to maintain sanity during these tumultuous times are not only brilliant, but it should be required reading, And as far as I'm concerned. Among other things, uh, we're going to be talking about what we can expect when Mueller testifies publicly next Wednesday— yeah, he should have been testifying today, but we know that that got postponed. I guess Congress wanted an extra hour with him, and they had to wait a week for that. So we're going to go over what the possibilities are. And like I said, a bunch of other things we're going to talk about. It's really going to be an interesting show. But first, Start Me Up is an independent podcast, and it's supported by listeners, just like you. Uh, please check out some of the past shows and consider supporting us with any dollar amount. Just visit patreon.com slash and become a patron. Come on, it's my birthday. If you're not ready to commit, I always include a link to my PayPal account. If you'd like to make a one-time donation, you could support the show that way. But either way, we'd really appreciate it if you supported the show and we're really grateful for all the wonderful people who do support the show. And um, oh, I've got some fun news. I'm really thrilled to announce that Feminist Next Door has, been, has agreed to be a regular guest on the show. So we're gonna shoot for once a month. Uh might be five or six weeks in between. But she's a lawyer, so she's got a very busy schedule. But she will be a start me up regular. And that just makes me very happy. And okay. Now please enjoy my interview with Terry Cainfield. Welcome, Terry. Thank you for being on the show. Well,
1: thank you for having me.
0: I'm just really excited because I love I love your Twitter threads. I love your blogs and you're kind of like the go-to person, especially when I'm scared, you know? And I'm like, sometimes you don't make me feel better because you, you say what I, what I think is going to be happening, but you do it in such a way that's intelligent and honest. And then you also usually do provide some kind of hopeful, um, you know, sentiment in there so that even though I'm still frightened, I feel like you you provide us the readers with hope so thank you for what you do
1: oh well you're welcome Um, I think some I think sometimes I I get two responses from people I terrify them and I comfort them at the same time yeah which is which is interesting
0: (laughs) well yeah you kind of do but that's only because you're telling the truth you know you're you're telling the truth of uh a scary time. And it's, it's like, we're all kind of waiting to see what happens in 2020. And until then we just have to, I don't know, like find, find the hope and be informed. And so basically that's what you do for us. And so, um, I guess we could just dig right in because there's, you know, you, you're often writing these um, threads that explain something. Like in this particular thread, you go over Trump's four-part po- uh, four plan for destroying democracy and strengthening an oligarchy. So um, let's just kind of start there. Um, you, you talk about how number one is get the fighters fighting and keep them fighting. So why don't you explain what that means?
1: Well, I'll actually start by explaining the word plan in the title because that also threw a lot of people off. Um, People underestimate Donald Trump, and I've been arguing this ever since for for a few years now, that people underestimate him. They think he's not very smart. They think he's kind of a buffoon and that he's not capable of knowing what he's doing. Mm -hmm. and It's always dangerous to underestimate people, particularly somebody who landed himself in the White House. Just underestimating him is dangerous. I I think there is a plan in the sense that he knows what he's doing. He has models to follow. They're not not hard. The plan isn't difficult. So it takes a certain kind of person. I couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. But a certain kind of person can do it. Mm -hmm. And um, really what you need to be able to do – among other things, is just to be able to lie shamelessly, which yeah. again um, isn't something that people can do. Everybody can do, but it's it's not like it's a difficult thing. Right. Um, so I think there is a plan, and the plan, and maybe plan is you know a little bit makes you seem like a business plan that you follow the <laughs> script, but you do. There's a very tried and true method of seizing power, and it's been it was used in the 20th century by. The far right wing nationalists who seized power beyond their numbers, and it was readapted um, more more recently. The 20th century strategies were readapted by Putin and used widely um, in, the, in the far right wing nationalist movement. So there is a way to do it, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the things here you know, we started with get get the fighters fighting. So the traditional way to govern in a liberal democracy, like what Obama would do or what Hillary Clinton would have done is to look to the future and to try to figure out how to make life better for people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the modern day fascists or autocrats, however we want to term these people, they don't do that. They're not looking for ways to improve life. They're do something else. So when Trump goes to work in the morning and he says, What am I gonna to do today as president? he's not trying to come up with a plan to make things better. He needs to get everybody fighting and by getting everybody fighting then it's a it's a divide and conquer but it's more than that it keeps everybody spinning mm-hmm. it keeps everybody from looking forward from the usual functions of government huh. and it also actually getting everybody fighting weakens the democracy obviously yeah. um people have written about how our biggest problem is the polarization well If you keep everybody fighting, then you increase the polarization. And it's more sophisticated than a simple divide and conquer. Because what happens when you get the fighters fighting, and by that I mean you get the Democrats and Republicans fighting each other. Mm -hmm. And then you also get the Democrats to fight each other. So by getting everybody fighting, what happens is, um, I'll quote Harvard professor Stephen Levitsky, who talks about hard hard. Um, hardball tactics that he says kill democracy. So the more polarized people become and the angrier people become and the more divided into teams they become, the more willing they are to tolerate hardball tactics from their own side. Hmm. So pretty much up until Trump, we saw very hardball tactics from the Republicans. You know, McConnell not, um, you know, not moving forward with Obama's Supreme Court right. pick, all kinds of hardball tactics. If you get the Democrats angry enough, then they're also going to engage in hardball tactics. When both sides engage in hardball tactics, it will kill the democracy.
0: Oh. Let me ask so, you this. Do you see how, you see how that works? Yes, I do. <laughs> um, do. Would you consider impeachment a hardball tactic?
1: No, I don't. At okay. a, actually, I don't consider it a hardball tactic. Um, I, I think I have a reputation, at least on my blog and Twitter, for, um, I'm not opposed to To impeachment. In fact, I marched for impeachment and gave a speech at um, a recent impeachment rally. I'm entirely in favor of impeachment. My fear with what I see happening is that there's an unrealistic expectation with what impeachment can do, Mm -hmm. and so that's my that's my worries. the, the way democracy will die, one of the ways democracy will die, is if people become apathetic and people lose faith and people lose confidence. And when you set up unrealistic expectations, then I think you set people up for disillusionment. And so I don't think, I don't think that um, impeachment is a hardball tactic at all. Mm-hmm. I do think that there are risks involved and um, and that with all the risks weighed against the benefits, I think... We land on the side of benefits, mm-hmm. and I do actually believe there will be impeachment. I, I do think so. I think Nancy Pelosi is being quoted out of context. I think there are good reasons to move cautiously at this point, and um, and so no, I don't. I don't think it is, and I think it will happen. I just think that the people who want to make it happen right now are suggesting hardball tactics. Okay, so. Where Nancy, as I understand nancy Pelosi's some of her speeches, she says we're moving in a certain direction and we 're getting everything lined up mm-hmm. and in order to make it happen right now instead of at this, at the pace she's moving, you would need hardball tactics to make it happen right now, for example, start throwing everybody in jail who who resists a subpoena <laughs> you know start jailing people right, that right, I right. think does does get hardball, but moving at a at the pace that they're going with investigations and, uh-huh. and um, court hearings and going, the pace is frustrating people.
0: Right. Well, you know what, I, I want to ask you, too, we're going to talk about Mueller a little later about what he may testify, but let's just, you know, kind of jump ahead just a little bit first. And I'm curious to know what you think. Okay, so Mueller, you know, Mueller gave his... um you know, his speech about the fact that, okay, here, here, here's my report. Here's what it said. This is my testimony. I don't want to testify anymore. And when he did that, the call for impeachment went up. Now, obviously he's going to, he should be back. He was supposed to be there today, but um, he should be back next Wednesday. And, providing he does give public testimony. um, Do you think that that's going to have the same effect of his, you know, five minute press conference where he basically just said, okay, this is my report. So he's going to be sitting in front of Congress for hours publicly talking about, you know, uh, what will, you know, hopefully you'll be able to fill us in on some of the things he's going to say a little later, but he makes his case. Do you see impeachment moving faster because of that?
1: Well, um, let me back up. First, let me say something about impeachment. Okay. Um, Impeachment requires – right now, I don't think Nancy Pelosi would have enough votes in the House. Mm -hmm. Enough Democratic representatives are cautious, Mm -hmm. and they're not – so impeachment is going to require public opinion. Right. So so public opinion comes first. So when the framers of the Constitution – thought about how what mechanism to put in place to remove a president they deliberately they thought about giving giving the power to remove a president to the court to the Supreme Court because it sort of makes sense right these are legal issues they deliberately decided not to give the power to the Supreme Court instead they gave the power to Congress and by giving the power to impeach and then you know remove um, would be the next step which Obviously, we don't see that um, happening unless there's a sea change in public opinion. Mm-hmm. But uh, by giving impeachment and removal to Congress, the, the framers of the Constitution deliberately put this in, into public opinion, into politics, mm, right. because these are represented. So whether impeachment is, speeds up depends on whether gotcha. Mueller's testimony moves the needle in terms of public opinion.
0: Well, that totally makes sense. And, you know, he did move the needle with his five-minute presser. So I'm just wondering what will happen, um, providing he, you know, gives certain testimony that just makes people say, oh, my gosh, because so many uh, Congress, you know, people in Congress haven't even read the report. So perhaps if they have the opportunity, yeah.
1: Right. So the question is, is Mueller going to move the needle far enough to speed things up? Right. And I'm... I'll probably be annoying with my answer here, but I'll remind you I'm trained as a lawyer. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I'm an appellate lawyer. And um, the words that we repeat over and over is on the other hand. Right. Right. So I'm trained to argue both sides. And in this case, I can see it going either way. Mm -hmm. I could argue it either way. Um, Mm. What we're talking about are future predictions, right? What might happen in the future? If this happens, what will happen next? And future predictions are always difficult. Um, There are a lot of people out there making definite future predictions. If X, then Y. Well, you can't. The most you can do is talk and it's prediction, probability, what you think is likely. Mm -hmm. So, So I'll caution people from thinking, from getting stuck in thinking this will happen. There are too many variables. So with all of that, I can give you the argument why I think it will move the needle and then the argument why okay. I think it won't move the needle. And I'm going to stay in the middle here because <laughs> I think it could go either way. Mm-hmm. So the argument, which do you want first, four or again? Let's
0: just go with four.
1: Okay. So the the, <laughs> the argument four, right? We'll take, um, the argument four is most people are not aware of what is in, how devastating that report is. Yes. Most people have not read it. The report is, is devastating. Um, the, a lot of representative officials haven't read it. They, when I say we can't, shouldn't underestimate Trump, Trump and Barr and his whole, I'll call it the very well-oiled propaganda machine, mm-hmm. did a really good job of neutralizing mm-hmm. the facts when they came out. Yeah. So they worked hard on undermining the facts in the public. So that people really don't know. And so there is a hope and a good argument to say that when the headlines carry very strong language, when, when Mueller says something very strong and this gets you know put out there in strong language and everybody wakes up and the people who aren't paying attention wake up and people say, oh my God, is really horrible, then the idea is that that will move the needle. And that sounds very likely, right? Yeah. There's, well, you want the other side? There's, <laughs> um, I can argue I can argue against it. Okay. And the way that I would argue against it, is like when I look at, you see it, it moved the needle. When I look at, um, I sort of favor 538 polling aggregate. Yes. Because I think, I think Nate Silver is brilliant. And what he does is he takes all the polls, he weights them based on how accurate they've been, and then he does an aggregate so that, you don't cherry-pick the polls that you like, mm-hmm. And you can also see what's happening over time. And over Trump's entire presidency I think 538 puts him right now at 42 percent approval. Through his entire presidency, right after he was elected, he was elected at about 46. Wow. It dropped, dropped down, and it's been around 40, mm-hmm. 41, 42 for two years two and a half, three years. Mm. So we haven't seen much movement really. Right. And um, sometimes I worry, or they, uh, the argument that it won't move the needle would be that opinion is hardened at this point, mm. that people know what they know. Um, unlike Nixon, Trump's, you know, it's, it's been in the news for two years. If anything, people are worn out. Like, yeah, we know, we know. Yeah. And the people who care aren't going to move from that. The people who don't care, aren't going to come around. So sometimes I um, I worry that or I, I can see the possibility that public opinion has hardened and the needle won't move much. So um, I started out, by the way, in 2016, pretty convinced that when all of the, you know, the crimes and the obstruction and the lies, and when all of this became public, I was pretty convinced that the that that would be the end of Trump and one after another, these scandals hit and we found out that he lied on his taxes for years. And we found out all of these things we have found out. It's been a constant shock, the things that he's done. And since he still stays at 42% with all of that, I do think there's a strong possibility that the needle isn't going to move. Yeah. Well, that that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that Go makes ahead. sense, and it's sad because um, it, it it just doesn't seem to make sense to me that that would be our reality, yet here we are. Um, and I and I totally, I can see, you know, I'm often a both sides person, too, in that way where I can see both sides of an argument. And I kind of hate that because I just, it's like, well, I see this side, and I don't like this side, but I can see it, and, and I see what you're talking about because that's very... Um, I don't know. It just it, it makes a lot of sense. I was speaking with Sarah Kenzior a couple of weeks ago. She did make an interesting point because I asked her if um, you know all these people are are refusing to show up when they're subpoenaed. How are they going to conduct a successful impeachment um, inquiry if people aren't showing up? And one point that she made was there are people who will show up. For instance, like Harry Reid, and I believe she, you know she said Harry Reid wrote a letter to Mueller, I think, two letters, I think, whether it was Congress or Mueller, whatever, about the 2016 Russian um, attack, which I like to call it, as, instead of interference. Um, mm-hmm. But they didn't pay attention. So Harry Reid would be able to show up and, and, and give his story. And there are other people, other players, who will show up to this. But, um, you know, I, I, I totally get what you're saying. If, if the president is accused of rape, and the media chooses to not really cover it, they shrug their shoulders, and you know the president is accused of lying on his taxes, and the needle doesn't move, then yeah, it makes sense that if we hear things um, about this damning report, still people are gonna be like, I just don't care, or whatever it is. But I guess we just have to wait and see, because um, it's hard to tell. I think, you know, I will say this on a positive note. Uh, there is an election expert whose name escapes me, but there was an article in Axios, and I've talked about this before, but this this expert is predicting a uh, what he calls a blue flood in 2020 based on what we saw in 2018. And in 2018, what we did see was voters motivated to vote because of Trump, whether it was for or against. So I think we're going to be looking at that again. I think what we're also going to be facing is Russian uh, meddling and attacking and whatever they're going to do to get in the way of the truth of what this mm-hmm. vote will be. And that's the thing that scares me the most. But I think that, um, you know, with that in mind, here's my hopeful side, with that in mind that people are going to be basing their vote on Trump, which doesn't really in the end turn out good for Trump, um, because right. if you if you take a look at 2018 and how that went, um, then right. this this. Uh, testimony may or may not well it may move the needle and it may not not move it as far as we like but maybe just far enough so there, there's my hopeful thought on Mueller's testimony <laughs> right um, and I, I
1: you know I agree completely and I've also been saying all along that it, it comes down to 2020 yeah because there are a lot of frustrated people who say who are frustrated at the fact that we can't remove Trump earlier and the reality is that again the final, the drafters of the Constitution deliberately made it hard Uh um, to remove a president. There was something you said early on. You just said, um, you mentioned this is our reality Mm -hmm. and that you have a hard time with this is our reality, that 42% of the population Mm -hmm. does approve of Trump, and they do know who he is. They're not approving of Trump without knowing that the guy is accused of all kinds of things. They know. So when you said this is our reality, I have an interesting experience. The last three or four years, which is I've auth- I've written a series of books of biographies for young readers. And I'm really not here to promote my book. I'm here to tell you that I went back over American history, and I I told American history actually constitutional history through biographies. So I spent the last few years tracing American history through a series of biographies, looking for how the Constitution has changed mm. and what has been consistent from the beginning is that about 42, 45% of voters are really white nationalists. Mm -hmm. And the best that we've ever had, like a landslide, would have been somebody like Roosevelt. But Roosevelt's landslide, even when the Republicans had brought us the Great Depression through all kinds of you know, deregulating industry, all the kinds of mortgage shenanigans we've seen. Even with a crashed economy and a completely failed Republican Party, at his most popular, I think he got 60, 62 percent of the vote. Oh and this was before we had any kind of right-wing propaganda machine. Mm-hmm. So even in the best circumstances for Democrats, the be- and the best circumstances in the sense that the parties weren't the way they are now, the Democratic Party still contained white Southerners. So um, the parties hadn't coalesced into their current form.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So all the way through, so what, sh- what shocked me, so I guess I already had my shock, because <laughs> when I went back through American history and I saw how much of the vote Andrew Jackson won with on a white supremacy platform, that, that America is for whites, not for Native mm-hmm. Americans, not for blacks, that America is for whites. And Lincoln... Only came became president because the the pro slavery vote was split three ways, so Lincoln never had a didn't come in with a majority, mm-hmm. and he was only able to have a majority when the when the Confederates weren't voting because they weren't part of the Union, and so all the way through, even I can start like with Roosevelt, and then I traced through a biography of um, Thurgood Marshall, so I went through the civil rights movement and actually what was going on in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s in America. And um, when I look at that number for Donald Trump, 42% Mm -hmm. is 42% approves of Donald Trump knowing exactly Mm -hmm. what he is. That's our reality. Mm -hmm. That's the United States of America. And that's hard, I think, some of us thought that things were sort of reborn with the civil rights movement, right? Right, It's a new, you know, there's a new birth. There was a new birth of freedom supposedly after the civil war. And that actually didn't pan out because we ended up with Jim Crow. Yeah. So that was supposed to be a new birth of freedom. And then the civil rights movement, I think for, for people who value diversity and, you know, democracy for all, we forgot that the civil rights movement came out of, this exact polarization. And one argument is that Donald Trump is a backlash to Brown v. Mm -hmm. Board of Education, which was the Mm -hmm. Supreme court case that finally desegregated schools. So when it's a little bit of a downer, but when you said this is our reality, I think it is our reality and the fantasy somehow that, um, that something's going to come out about Donald Trump. That's going to chip into that. um, What, we do have hope, though, because 42 percent is a long way from a majority. So as long as the Democrats don't self-sabotage and um, fall into the hmm. you know, yeah. circular firing squad that we've seen, or as long as Trump is not tying back to the beginning, as long as Trump is not able to get the fighters fighting, <laughs> if the fighters resist fighting yeah. each other, 42 um, percent is probably what we're stuck with. But it's.
0: But um, it could be worse.
1: It could be. Right. 42%. But 42%, that number where we are, it's enough for a bloodbath in 2020, but it's really not enough to remove Trump from office.
0: Right. Right. You know what, though, before you go on, first of all, I do want to say plug, plug, plug away. What is the name of the book? Oh, I can talk
1: about my book. (laughs) I have a series called The Making of America. Okay. And um it's very coincidental. I mean I, I ended up like the time so my first book is um actually I pitched it to my publisher. It's for young readers for high school. Mm-hmm. So I pitched it to my publisher. This was before twenty sixteen, obviously. I pitched it to my publisher as um we need to help high schoolers, young people need to understand the constitution because they don't understand it enough. So we need a way to get the constitution into the minds of young people. Mm-hmm. And the way I proposed to do that was through a series of biographies on the theory that biography humanizes the past so when we read biography we read history but mm-hmm. in a more uh, in a story mm-hmm. so my proposal was six books so I picked the six figures that most that I felt did the most to change our constitution and um, one of the ways that our constitution has changed is who's included in we the people so you, you see a lot of libertarians saying, well, America wasn't founded as a democracy, as if we're not a democracy. Well, of course it wasn't founded as a democracy, but it's become more democratic. Yeah. So, um, so one of the ways that I traced the Constitution was through you know, different themes, and one of them was who is included in We the People. So my first um, figure was um, Alexander Hamilton – But then I got very lucky because it hit the Hamilton craze, right? Mm -hmm. So I did Alexander Hamilton as somebody who gave us the Constitution, and at the time, it was white, wealthy men. Mm -hmm. Um, Not everybody agreed with that, but that's who it was. And then my second figure is Andrew Jackson, who then, through Jacksonian politics, enlarged We the People to include all white men, including poor white men out on the frontier. Mm -hmm. My book on Andrew Jackson came out right about the time Trump was elected. <laughs> I know, right? And then, um, and then my, thir- my third book in the series is Lincoln, who then expanded We the People to include black men in, in theory. And then my fourth figure is, um, is Susan B. Anthony, who, of course, expanded We the People mm-hmm. to include women. Mm-hmm. And then my fifth figure is Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who doesn't quite fi- fit with this theme. She has other themes with the role of of federal government. But then my final book is Thurgood Marshall, who then expanded We the People to include uh, black black men and women in fact, not just theory. Uh So I had just been looking at the battles fought by Susan B. Anthony, the battles fought by Thurgood Marshall, and... That's why I see Donald Trump not as something new and different and, oh, my God, autocracy come to America. I see Donald Trump as coming out of a very deep tradition in American history, Hmm. and it's just as much who we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, what do you have to say about this? Here's my counter to what you say, not that I'm disagreeing with you, but um, looking at the 2016 election, Hillary Clinton got um, almost 3 million more votes than he did. So while he did have uh, Russia's help, in the electoral vote, um, more Americans voted for her. Do you think that has anything to play into what you're talking about?
1: Well, certainly, because we have women voting now, we have black people voting
0: now. Right, 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 right. So,
1: so, so Hillary Clinton would not have won. She wouldn't have gotten anything like that um, before, you know, before the civil rights movement.
0: right. Exactly, yes.
1: Like she wouldn't have even been nominated. So, so yeah, so <laughs> yeah. right now so, – right, so the problem that the, that the right wing has is that when you allow women – actually, women are pretty divided. They're conservative – you know, they're evangelical women yeah. and liberal women. But when you – so the women, you could take the women out, and the balance probably isn't going to change too much. But if you take minorities out, if you take African Americans out, yeah. then um, – Right, then they, they're back to a minority. So that's what all the voter suppression is about. So right. The reason Hillary yeah. Clinton won, or so they want to get away with So they know that Hillary Clinton won because of how, because of how open voting was. And yeah, there was a lot of cheating. So, um, so I, think, I think we've always, we meaning those in favor of liberal democracy, meaning those in favor of expanding rights for all people, we outnumber the far-right-wing nationalists. <laughs> Yay! We outnumber
0: them. Oh, my gosh. Well, that, you know, that's hopeful.
1: That's hopeful. Right? We do outnumber them. Um, there's, and then there's, always, there's also the, on the other hand, we outnumber them, but on the other hand, they've always managed to wield power beyond their numbers, mm-hmm. so they're dangerous. Right. But we, but we outnumber them.
0: Well, we'll see. You know, I mean, it's basically just comes down to, in my opinion, if enough people come out to vote, we can overcome uh, not all of it, but a lot of the gerrymandering and the suppression and and whatever we're going to be dealing with, which I want to get back to Trump's four part plan. You said number two. Okay, so first it's get everybody fighting, get the Democrats fighting with the Republicans, get the Democrats fighting with each other. And we're so good at that. Um, And then you say number two is feed the victimization outrage cycle. So what, what do you mean by that?
1: That is um, also a, a strategy that was really perfected by Putin. Um, it's very effective. Mm-hmm. What you do is the um, right wing, what's not intuitive to people is that Trump supporters, the right wing nationalists, see themselves as victims.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Fascists. Yeah. fascists see themselves as victims. And this isn't intuitive to people, that they do see themselves as victims. And so that's why when Trump says they're after me, it's a witch Mm -hmm. hunt, it makes sense to his followers. So they see themselves as victims. And um, part of the strategy is to create outrage. So Trump deliberately outrages his critics. He keeps them outraged. And part of what that does is it um, if you're spinning with outrage, you can't plan for the future. Hmm. And so he puts people into this position where he'll do like the most outrageous thing, and then you have to react to it. You just have to. Yeah. You feel like you have to. But then when you react to it, then it feeds. Then the it feeds this cycle. Which okay, wait. Actually, let me back up. So what? What I'm going to quote. I want to quote uh, Yale Professor Timothy Snyder who says that what Trump does is he creates strong emotion Mm -hmm. in people. Yeah. He creates euphoria in his followers and outrage in his critics. So he gets everybody all Mm -hmm. hot bothered. So he tells his base that they're victims, right? They're victims. And the way they see themselves as victims is they believe in a hierarchy. A lot of people think nature forms a hierarchy. They don't believe that there's real equality. They think, major forms a hierarchy and white men, white Christian men, um, Christian sort of in quotes, there are certain kind of Christian men have been in power in the United States since the beginning. Yeah, It's been white Christian men. And when other people come up and ask for equality, they see it as threatening that someone's taking what's theirs. So they're feeling victimized. So first Trump tells his, his base that they're victims
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they feel like, he understands that yeah. because he gets it, and then they see him as brave enough to say the truth. So then, what he does is he implements a policy like cruelty at the border, separate the children, you know, whatever it is that's mm-hmm. just completely outrageous. He implements this policy. This policy does two things: it excites his base because they say, "See, he's fighting back against you know this incursion on our on our on our domain." Mm-hmm. And it, it then also outrages his um, his critics, and it creates his loop. So the more outraged his critics are, the more euphoric his base is. And then when when the um, his critics start doing things to protect minorities and stand up for minorities, then his base then says, "See, they care more about others than real Americans." So then they get angrier. So part of and it feeds into the keep the fighters fighting it's like i broke them out as two separate things keep the fighters fighting and feed this this victimization Mm -hmm. outrage cycle but you can see how they play on each other yes that as you outrage your critics and as you thrill your base then everybody gets fighting more and more you um you sort of raise up the temperature on everybody fighting so it's um and you can see also that, you know, for the people who say, well, we we'll kind of plan. Like, huh? he's not smart enough to plan. No, but he's a natural at this. Right. He's, he's a natural. Uh. I don't, one place I don't go is into sort of doing a psychoanalysis of Trump.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I don't do that just because, um, just for different reasons. But for whatever reason, Trump is a natural. Yeah. He's a natural at it. Um, and I won't say it's all because he just does it naturally. I do know that he looks to Putin and others mm-hmm. for how to do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's um, so he's a natural; it's not that hard. But um,
0: right, but he still gets advice and tips, writers. you know, tips on how to destroy everything from Putin. <laughs>
1: right, it's, it's, it's not hard. I mean, it's a lot harder to preserve a democracy than it is to destroy it.
0: Right. That you know, yeah, you said that in your blog and in your tweet, and it's it's scary and true. That's exactly it. And then you said also, um, well, you also mentioned that you wrote a Slate article in which uh, you said Trump's, why Trump supporters will believe anything he says, basically. He'll believe all of his lies. And um, I'm looking here. He breaks laws, and then he, there's a point to, making, to breaking these laws. And I think it's, it's kind of what you're talking about. It's just to keep – he's not being held accountable, and then, so he can do anything he wants. And then I think, I think when he does things like that, it's almost like you know, there's that, that thing uh, that the Republicans are, you know, doing X to um, own the libs. So it's almost like mm-hmm. Trump is breaking the law, and and no one is holding him accountable because he's got most of the power to own the libs, you know. And then and then.
1: In, actually, in a minute, I want to come back to your word accountable because I, that's been something that I've been thinking about. I want to come back to that, but I want to talk about the, the lying first. Okay. Okay, so about the lies. I think the lies are also a, a way, part of the strategy for destroying. Mm-hmm. So somebody put an interesting comment on one of my threads. I assume this was a principal or a high school teacher. said, you know, when the, high school, when the bad high school kids want to sabotage the system, what they do is they all adopt the same lie.
2: Hmm.
1: And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, I had thought about that when I wrote my article. But um, I, I wrote my article because some scholars did some very interesting work on why Trump's supporters embrace his lies. They, they know he's lying. Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot of them know he's lying. Right. There are, there are Trump supporters— who watch Fox News who right. believe everything they're told, and they don't know he's lying. Yeah, that there are definitely, there are definitely those Trump supporters. But for the most part, Trump supporters are more sophisticated uh, than we give them credit for. For example, Mitt Romney is not a dumb man. Right, right. He knows. He knows that Trump is lying, and so what these scholars did is they talked about how it is that somebody who, who is seen as genuine. Can also be a liar, and what they concluded was that um, they call it the the appeal, the appeal of the lying demagogue. And so Trump, because Trump is willing to, in their view, defy p- political correctness by saying what they all think, which is America should be white <sighs> rule, white yeah. majority rule. So they see him as, as genuine because he's willing to buck, um, you know, sort of the political correctness what you're supposed to say as they see it but at the same time they know he's lying and the lying is destructive so they want him to destroy they see the government as illegitimate pre-trump the government is illegitimate because they believe that the government put the rights of others ahead of them so it's purely it's not economic it's purely us versus them mentality Hmm. that we are the real americans what what Sarah Palin got at that time, when she said the real Americans. So they they know he's lying. They embrace the lies. They like his lies because they know that the lies are destructive, Mm -hmm. which is scary. Yeah. So what you're up against is not just Trump lying, but Trump's supporters cheering for the the fact that he's lying.
0: Wow. That's kind of terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, it's mind-boggling and terrifying.
1: Right. I mean, you can't tell me that, that Mitch McConnell doesn't know these are lies. Oh,
0: right. Absolutely. And they all,
1: I mean, so it's, so, you know, we've got a view of, of Trump supporters as, as Fox viewers, but Trump supporters are also Fox executives.
2: Yeah. So actually,
1: wow. actually said something. I want to ask you a question mm-hmm. because you use the word accountable. Mm-hmm. And this is a question I've been meaning to ask Twitter <laughs> because a lot of, a lot of my followers and a lot of, people in my comments say well trump isn't being held accountable and um again i'll tell you my background here is not just a lawyer but i'm a criminal defense appellate lawyer Mm -hmm. so um so that's a particular kind of lawyer and um and i have a view of punishment that isn't used to be the liberal view um i'm not quite sure liberals are kind of all over the place right now because of trump but um but, again, I, I wrote a book about the criminal justice system, also for high school, talking a lot about punishment. And I'm not a person who believes punishment actually works that well. I don't, I don't either, actually. I'm sorry?
0: I don't either. I'm with you on that.
1: Okay, good. So w- when people talk about accountable, I'm curious what – I mean, I, if we're not talking about punishment, how do they how, – how ultimately is it – they think Trump is going to be held accountable. And actually, before I let you talk, I think the answer I would get is to impeach him. But what you have to, people have to understand that impeaching him is, we've had two presidents impeached. Right? We had Johnson impeached and we had um, Clinton impeached. And impeachment is like an indictment. Mm -hmm. And I know um, Lawrence Tribe has said, well, you can impeach him and not send it to the the Senate. Mm -hmm. But Impeaching him really isn't a whole lot different than the majority of House representatives voting to censure him.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Right. If, if, if it doesn't remove him from office and if it doesn't make him stop what he's doing, I'm not sure how even impeachment – I mean, it will slap his slap his wrist. But, um, I mean, it, so I'm curious what people – say he hasn't been held accountable, what actually they think is going to hold him
0: accountable? Well, I guess I would look at means. it, yeah, I would look at it in two different ways. Like, in, as far as impeachment is concerned, specifically, um, I don't necessarily look at it as a slap on the hand or punishment. I would look at it as a constitutional duty where the where the the Congress is making sure for the record, for history's record, that he did X, Y, and Z. Um, and that it is it is on the record as impeachment or at least an impeachment process, because we all know if it went if and when it gets sent to the Senate, they're not going to remove him. But for okay. history's record, it shows this is what you know, this is what we decided or this is what we found out that he did outside of impeachment. When I say accountable, um, I just mean like, for instance, with the case of Egene Carroll, you know, she said Trump raped me. Well, she didn't say that. She won't use the term rape, but she described what he did as rape. Um, We can also go go back to, you know, in in October of 2016, when that Access Hollywood tape dropped. I remember my boyfriend was on the East Coast. I was living in California at the time. He was on the East Coast visiting his family. And I saw this and I was like, oh, my God. I called him up and I'm like, Trump is toast. He's this is going to end him. And clearly the WikiLeaks thing happened right after and it didn't end him. But. Every egregious thing that he's said and that he's done, when I say accountable, I don't necessarily mean going to jail, but he pays absolutely no price for it. He he gets rewarded for his deplorable behavior or what he said about women or the way he's uh, talked about other nations, or the fact that he was, um, you know, how he never ever criticizes Putin, but he criticizes our allies. And so accountable can mean a number of things. It can mean, as we were talking about before, at least the way I see it, uh, his poll numbers stay the same. Um, people are not making what he's doing, or I should say that he he, he just doesn't have to pay for anything, and it's not necessarily punishment but it's like, if I right, were I to, yeah, so if I were to go and say, um, you know, horrible things about, I don't know, whether it was, you know, women or people of color or whatever, I would be held accountable because no one would pay attention to me on social media anymore. And, and, and right, people. Ta-
1: right. You'd lose your friends. You'd yeah. You'd lose your job. You'd lose your friends. Right. I, I, I understand. Okay. I see. Um, I was curious what people meant by that. Now that, that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. Okay. Like I can't, it, I can't it, speak it for everyone, but that's what I, that's the way I see it. You know, and right. then there's also the idea of jail. Like, I, I wonder, um, after all is said and done, and when Trump is no longer the president, and he's a free man, um, there are crimes that he's committed. And if they are proven, you know, obviously, Mueller was not able to prove that he conspired with Russia. He, he, he has collusion and he has obstruction of justice. But, you know, if it's proven that Trump did break the law. And deserves to be in jail, which I believe, I'm sure he's broken the law in many different ways, but if it's proven, I'm concerned that he's not going to ever have to face that, whether it's because, you know, whether, I mean, I would certainly hope that we wouldn't get another, um, you know, if he's in there for eight years and then we get another Republican, there would be no pardons and he could just go on doing what he does. I mean, at that point, he'll be quite old, but still you know, it's like he'll, he'll be able to
1: pick up after him. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's very, it's very galling. Um,
2: yeah.
1: right. No, that makes a lot of sense. It's very galling. So you, yeah, you said a few things in there. I think that, um, that your sense of him not being accountable in terms of poll numbers and all of that, that also takes us back to how, who is America yeah, that right. we do have, if we have, and this is, I think been the problem from the beginning, I've been saying for a long time, our crisis isn't Trump. Right. It's not just Trump. Our crisis is that he's being shielded and propped up yes. by a major political party and by, you know, forty percent of the population. And so it's true. He's, you know, he's going to. Is, it, is he going to get away with all of this? Well, Alex Jones. I mean, if you take some of these far right wing people, they also, um, they also don't. Well, I guess they do pay a price. Look at um, Roger Stone. It, he paid a price. Manafort paid a price. Alex so Jones prayed, paid a price. price. He, he lost
0: was. his social media platform.
1: Right. He paid a price. That's right. Um, yeah, there you know, it's a it's a frustrating thing <laughs> that because he's elected president of the United States, he can get away with things that people can't get away with. Right. And I think that that's, that's, a, that's a frustrating thing. Um, I think there's a... Um, you know i'm not sure how much i want to play devil's advocate on this one but um, as far as see, as far as punishment you know or jail time i'm not a believer in jail time i'm not a believer in um, prisons i'm not a believer in all of that and so i couldn't in good i couldn't stay true to all of my sort of philosophical and criminal justice you know, reform beliefs if I advocated prison for Trump. But I'll tell you what I do advocate and what I hope happens and should happen is that any money gained illegally should be forfeited. Absolutely. And I I think I have, like, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised at the fact that I have a respect for the office of the president that I really, as much as I despise Trump, I really don't like the idea of a former president in jail. And there's just, I'll tell you a story. My, my son was young during the primaries and we went and we held signs up and I took him door to door. You know, we went and we talked to voters and we were very active and he went along. He had some fun, but he really got excited when he saw this great big dump Trump sign. So he was 10 at the time. I forget. So he wanted to bring this design home. So it was, <laughs> belong to the Democratic Party, so I offered to pay for it, I said, I'll buy the sign. They're not take it, take it. So we had the sign in our window, Dump Trump, all through the primaries and the election. And the morning of November 9th, I actually did a really strange thing, which I took that sign out of the window because I said, he is our president. Mm-hmm. And that's so, it's such a, I, I'm a, I'm a lawyer, I'm an officer of the court. I have a, almost a reverence because you do learn that, you know, for the, mm-hmm. the system, you know, the legal system, the, the whole constitution. And even if he got it illegally, even if he got it with Russia's help, which I didn't really understand at that time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I just had this instinct, which was I can't do it. I can't have that right now because he, he's in the office. Of the, it, something, some respect for the office, which I can imagine being – eviscerated for that on on social media <laughs> but um but so, you know somehow I, I just can't advocate jail right well that's
0: understandable media. i mean on, on a real quick aside I, I i recently saw this fascinating 60 minutes piece about a jail in germany um or or the way that they do it and i think uh there was a model of it here i can't remember if it was in florida or what state it was in, but basically there was this, um, thing that was set up and, and all the prisoners who wanted to be a part of it would apply. And it was the rehabilitation. And I believe that it, I do believe in the idea of rehabilitation or at least the attempt. Mm -hmm. And then I think like, um, just to go to this Jeffrey Epstein story, you know, Trump is rumored to have gone to some of these parties. And if he did in, you know, if he did do anything with underage girls, um, it's hard for me to ima- imagine that it's okay for him to walk free. I don't like the idea. Yeah. And, idea. and with you, with that. <laughs> yeah, I don't like the idea. Yeah. I don't like the idea of for-profit prisons. I don't think that they help, but in this piece that I saw, um, on 60 Minutes, basically, you know, it, it, certain people weren't allowed. I think pedophiles weren't allowed and, and you know, whether right. it, they weren't allowed to even um, go in there. But if you qualified, um, it you know, you had lifers in there who were trying to... Um, basically rehabilitate people and explain mm-hmm. how they can have better lives and it was very very positive and I've also seen stories of other prisons where they do the same kind of a thing where it's a very positive thing and people learn skills and there was this one guy who was younger I think he was in there for drugs and uh, I can't remember what it was but eventually he was able to get out and then you know, he went through this program and with someone, I think it was in the prison system, recommended him to this particular school so that he could get in. Mm-hmm. And he got in on a scholarship. I think it was a, a basketball scholarship. So, you know, I mean, this kid was just, you know, in unfortunate circumstances and, you know, broke the law and then he goes to prison and then he did have a fortunate circumstance and that the prison was able to help re- rehabilitate him. And I'm all for that. Right. Um, but yeah. with, right. no, with-
1: I, I agree. And, you know, as far as as far as preying on young girls yeah it's about as bad as it gets and if that doesn't if that coming out doesn't cause him you know shame and you know having to you know to register whatever it is there there may be some i don't know what the statute of limitations is on that right um but i mean there may be some actual problems with um with prosecuting a case Mm -hmm. like that but um but I'm all for forfeiting money that was got. Yeah, me to too. Really. Absolutely. Taking and everything I, he
0: has and uh, making him right. poor. <laughs> that would be great. Right.
1: And I, I, th- I think that that's all you really need to do. Yeah. Because Actually, I agree is, with you. Is, you know, how is it like destroy the myth and you destroy the man? Yeah. Um, you know, let, it, let him move into a, a middle class row house in a suburb. Yeah you know, nobody wants to be his neighbor. Actually, he'd have to register, right? Right, exactly. Um, So so the neighborhood would try to keep him out. But yeah, make him, you know, put him in ordinary. Although, again, I'm, I'm putting that out as a, on the other hand, type of argument. Yeah. Well, I mean, there would
0: definitely, yeah, there might be some kind of public shunning. Um, I would imagine, you know, being Trump after President Trump would be very difficult, whether or not he had money. You know, he will get the benefit of Secret Service for the rest of his life. But wherever he goes, I can't imagine outside of Mar-a- Mar-a-Lago, I can't imagine that he's going to be well received, because I think the public right, is just right. going to give him the hardest time. But I want to I want to get back to where I want to get back to your number three, which is um, dem, uh, demonstrate strongman tactics by breaking rules and defying norms, and that's kind of what we've been talking about. But if he can continue to defy those norms and break the rules, I mean, it's basically a breakdown of the democracy, our representative democracy, and it is more power for him.
1: Right, that is, And he's, again, I want, I'll quote Timothy Snyder, who says that there's often, with autocrats, there's often a honeymoon period where it's really fun to break the rules. Mm-hmm you know, flex your muscles and break the norms and break the rules. And a lot of what's happening right now with Trump's support is that, you know, sort of that thrill. Um, And the thrill, because these are people who haven't felt the government is legitimate.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Ever since Brown v. Board of Education, ever since the Civil Rights Act, ever since, you know, the federal government steps in and tells the states, you know, no, you can't do this. No, you can't do that. They feel that the federal government is illegitimate. And so because they feel the government is illegitimate, they want to destroy it. And so they cheer a strong man who's destroying it. And, um, and I entirely agree that it's, it's intentional, it's part of a plan to destroy the democracy and replace it with um, a, I wouldn't even say an autocrat, because I think he wants, I think it's more of an oligarch. Mm-hmm. I think that he, he wants himself, he wants, they want to emulate russia Mm -hmm. where a few people are the billionaires who control everything and so that's why he puts his billionaire friends in and that's why you know that's what that's what the tax you know the tax reform is all about is creating a billionaire oligarchy and so there's no doubt that they that this is an attempt to that that the law breaking is an attempt to um to destroy the democracy now kind of Tying that back to the way you just did with, um, you know, with this is again, this is law breaking, and so where are the consequences? Mm -hmm. I have a thread somewhere. I wrote this a while ago. It wasn't, um, somebody was insisting that Trump had to be punished for all of this law breaking. And when you're the president of the United States and you're doing it as president with the backing of a political party, it is. A little bit different from somebody who commits robbery in the back alley. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not it's not better or worse. Yeah, it's
0: just it's different. different. Yeah,
1: you know, it's like it's it's a little more it's a little more I would think akin to after the Civil War. There was a lot of discussion about whether to punish the South and whether to punish the slave owners. Now, these slave owners were committing a. Tra- atrocities against human nature, far beyond. I mean, I, I, I was actually at the border. I was at a detention center. I did some volunteering down there. It's bad. Mm-hmm. It's very bad. Um, but what happened in slave times is, is, an, is on another level. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, we could get there again, but it was another level. And there was a lot of discussion after the Civil War whether to punish the, the, um, you know, the South and whether to punish the slave owners. And Lincoln was opposed to it. Lincoln did not want to punish. Mm-hmm. And it's a. Um, and I've seen people argue that well, the problem we have today is that they weren't punished enough. I'm not sure that when when law breaking happens as part of a attempt to overthrow a government, it's. I'm not sure you can. I'm not sure that punishing the South would have done. Anything more other than create even more pain? I don't, I don't know. But well, I, I guess it would crazy. go
0: to deterring. Like, would it deter future um, lawbreakers from breaking the law?
1: Well, well, it would. It it would not deter a future right. Trump. Right. Right. Exactly. It would absolutely not. It absolutely would not. And the idea that it would is. Is sort of silly yeah. the idea that well we're going to really hammer Trump hard and we're going to take we're going to put him in jail and put his kids in jail and teach autocrats a lesson. Well, an autocrat's not going to you know it's not going to happen. So one of the things that um, sort of a lot of the scholars that I could like quote, including Hofstetter, have talked about is how the conditions were right for Trump right now.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, if
1: not Trump, it would have been somebody else. Mm-hmm. And um, I just did a thread on what two psychologists, Karen Stenner and John Haight, call the authoritarian dynamic, which what they say is that authoritarianism is a feature of liberal democracies. It isn't going to go away. And they talk about how liberal democracy expands by, you know, say voting rights, includes more people, expands diversity. And as liberal democracy expands, it creates a backlash, basically. And people who have authoritarian dispositions, and they're not going away. Mm -hmm. We have a certain percentage of the population that will always be disposed this way. And they will have a reaction. And what they say is it's not going away. The authoritarians will always be with us. Liberal democracy always runs the danger of these people with autocratic tendencies staging the kind of takeover that we have right now. And so you can't punish people out of their personalities. Mm-hmm. Right. So if, if they're correct, if they're correct that, auto, you know, that authoritarianism is a feature of a certain personality. And the, the, um, Karen Stenner has a book called The Authoritarian Dynamic, just so people listening know my source. She has a book called The Authoritarian Dynamic. And the essay I'm quoting comes from a collection called um, Authoritarianism in America, Can It Happen Here?, And basically they say that a certain percentage of the people have authoritarian tendencies. They will have a reaction when liberal democracy expands too far. So Mm -hmm. basically what they say is that Trump happened because liberal democracy in America exceeded the capacity of many people to tolerate it. And they also say that that third of the population that censored authoritarianism, they're not going to go away. They're, we have to figure out how to deal with them. Yeah. And so will another Trump figure come along mm-hmm. who figures out how to do everything Trump did? Certainly. Yes. My fear is someone's going to do it better. Without yeah, the me baggage.
0: too. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think going back to what you said about people don't give him credit for, uh, for being smart or something like that. I mean, it's not that I think that he's highly intelligent. He's highly skilled at at you know all these things that you're listing he understands how to manipulate public opinion he's been doing it for decades you know i mean he showed he would show up on howard stern and he would go on the view and he would always find a way to stay relevant and he would say shocking things in an effort to, uh, get attention. So he totally understands how to throw like these little bombs out there and, and get everybody to, you know, either laugh or argue or, you know, feel sickened or whatever it is. That's what I think his main talent is. And it's, it's, it's not that I think that he's stupid. I don't think that he's stupid. He's just, in my opinion, he's not an intelligent man when it comes to, you know, he doesn't understand the constitution. He doesn't understand, um, a lot of how government works and he doesn't care to. He understands how to throw those bombs and ruin it. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's to me like an agent of chaos and agents yeah. of chaos can often be very adept at what they're doing, but but you know just listening to Trump's vocabulary tells you that he's not the most intelligent man. You know, <laughs> this I can tell you, believe me, tremendous. It's like this re- repeats those same phrases over and over and I remember um, somebody once uh, some kind of expert, you know, put him at a fourth grade level as far as his vocabulary. And so, but yes, I mean, and then, you know, you, you're talking about the fact that he's able to, to do all these things you've got number four is that he inoculates himself as a lawbreaker by undermining factuality. So what exactly does that mean? Cause you said this in turn undermines the rule of law.
1: Right. Well, um, before I pick that up, just sort of continuing with something you were just saying, too, we were just talking about whether punishment can deter a future Trump. Right. And I think it's pretty clear that it can't. And the idea that we're going to punish him and prevent – I mean, there's reason for punishment. The idea that it's going to deter a future Trump is ignoring the conditions that make Trump possible and that this is a sort of a ever-present part of – liberal democracy, that it's always there. And then as far as inoculating himself, yes, I started noticing a couple of years ago that as as these accusations of lawbreaking came in, as these investigations were closing down, Trump was not putting together a traditional legal defense. And again, I'm, I'm a lawyer, I'm a defense lawyer, I know what a traditional legal defense looks like. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that he wasn't putting one together. In fact, he was doing things that would undermine a traditional legal defense by changing a story constantly in public, um, coming right out and openly uh, obstructing, entirely obstructing justice, obstructing the probe. You can't, you can't put together a traditional legal defense while you're breaking the law. And everybody knows that a witness who changes his story is not a credible witness. Yeah. So, what was he doing? He's changing the story over and over over and over in public. He obviously never expected to be on the witness stand Mm -hmm. to account for these crimes. And if he did, he would just do the same thing on the witness stand. So what was he doing? How was he, what what was his plan? And it seemed to me that what he was doing was sort of deliberately undermining truth through his well-oiled propaganda machine. And, The the attacks you see on Mueller, the attacks, the whole Devin Nunes, is that how you pronounce it? Nunes. Nunes, his his whole, um, you know, that whole, you know, fiasco with attacking the probe and now they're Mm -hmm. attacking the FBI. Well, that's actually a defense, a a very traditional um, criminal defense is to say that law enforcement exceeded their bounds, right? That's sort of a traditional Mm -hmm. thing to do. So he was doing that. But not the way you're supposed to do it, not by bringing a motion in court. He was doing it by publicly undermining the FBI. And it seems pretty obvious that he always expected his trial to be in the court of public opinion.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He's, he's not too worried about a traditional trial. And so uh, – and can he have a traditional trial at this point? Good luck yeah, finding really. I know. a jury. I yeah. mean, how could you possibly impanel a jury? You can't. And so it's like the grand master of uh, tainting the jury, poisoning the jury. So yeah. Susan B. Anthony had a trial. She voted. She shouldn't have. And she tainted the jury by everybody in the town had an opinion. So they moved her to another town. So you cannot possibly impanel a jury. That can be impartial <laughs> yeah. on Trump. Right. And so – He has actually, in a lot of ways, inoculated himself from any sort of traditional Mm -hmm. kind of trial, and I also think that that was deliberate. The grand poisoning of the jury pool, every single person in the United States has a strong opinion on Trump, Mm
2: -hmm. so how
1: are you going to find an impartial jury? I mean, I could do it. You put the jury up there, and you say, can you be impartial, and the jury says yes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's how— And then, the judge, and then the judge says, can you be impartial? And the jury, you know, the juror, as long as the juror says yes, you know, you go forward. Right. But I don't think anybody's really going to believe that there's an impartial jury.
0: Right. Exactly. Well, you know, going back to what you just said, I, last night I was just thinking in terms of um, the fact that 2018 votes were primarily based on, um, you know, Trump, whether it was for or against. I think that's kind of, that's it right there. You know, I mean, what Mm -hmm. didn't matter, I mean, yes, it's important that the Democrats talk about those kitchen table issues and climate and all of that, but in the end, people came out to vote because of Trump, either way. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't think that there would be any kind of impartial jury out there. I think everybody has an opinion of him one way or another, and so it would be very difficult.
1: Right. And if he is convicted, what does he do? He says that there were more Democrats than Republicans. And even if he pays the yeah, price, exactly. he pays it as i I'm sorry?
0: Yeah, I, I'm agreeing with you. Exactly.
1: Right. And he, if he pays the price, he pays the price as a martyr. I mean, here's another <sighs> thing among his followers. Here's another thing to keep, you know, for the people who want to see Trump in jail. And I think there's a difference once you're president of the United States. Because one thing that you have to remember is that, Jailing people has never changed the minds of the followers. Right. Right. So, when, you know, when our liberal heroes have been in jail, right, Martin Luther King Jr. was in jail, um, Gandhi was in jail, Thoreau was in jail, right, that you could put someone in jail and that can make the people who jailed him feel better. But, and, and you can say, okay, now he's accountable. But is he really, if, you know, if um, it's not going to change the minds of the followers. In yeah, fact, that makes sense. They're going to. Yeah. So it's so the, the whole accountability. That's why, I'm, you know, I haven't really thought much about that word. That's why I asked you, because I know I've been seeing that a lot. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, maybe there's a thread brewing in my head. <laughs> right, but how, how do you hold him accountable? Because even jailing him empowers his followers. Yeah. Do you think you don't think any less of Rosa Parks because she was arrested?
0: Right. Exactly yeah exactly I mean, that's right? a great point. It's a great point. I think I think basically just what it comes down to is the human desire for someone to suffer if they've done something wrong. And you right. know I mean that's kind of also why I don't like the idea of our for- profit prisons. I mean, I think there are certain people who are a threat to the public and they need mm-hmm. to be outside of the public. You know, they need to be insulated. And, and I'm, you know, does it, does it mean that they're going to be rehabilitated in many cases? No. In fact, Jeffrey Dahmer um, said that he felt that if he were free, he would continue to do what he did. And he was actually, mm-hmm. he expressed relief in that capacity that, you know, he couldn't do that anymore because he recognized what he did was egregious. He would have still done it, though, because he was driven to do it. So, yeah, I mean, right. be, yeah. You know,
1: one one argument here, and actually it's an interesting thing to throw in with Trump and accountability, is going all the way back to, you know, somebody like Clarence Darrow or even Dostoevsky who talked about prisons, is um, there's a, an argument to be made that you don't have prisons. You have hospitals, locked wards, yeah. so hospitals where you can't leave, that you have hospitals and you have um, and you have work, you know, make amends to society by cleaning up the highways or whatever um, and forfeiting, you know, forfeiting any profit from crime. So there's a, an argument to me that these people they can't help themselves, yeah. you know, something's wired wrong, something they're dangerous. Yeah. Something's wired wrong. Well, if you're born that way, obviously punishment doesn't do anything either. Exactly. Um, it might make people. And if you feel better for having punished someone who's born that way, I have to step back and look at that. So, for people like you know these predators who are born that way, you know, maybe you lock them in a hospital. I mean, it's maybe no different from a jail, right but you don't have wardens, you don't have um, right just as long know, as they're you not have like
0: yeah
1: right, I could put trump in I could put Trump in a hospital, and I have no problems with that <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but it wouldn't be it would not be fair for him to be hospitalized while people who pick pockets are jailed,
0: yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that, right, that's so. definitely it's that's like a whole nother conversation as far as how we would, you know, treat people in society who, you know, hurt or kill or steal or whatever. But in, in this case of Trump, I think that I think you're absolutely right that he should just be stripped of everything, all his money, all of his homes. I think that would be uh, a way to um, not just necessarily punish, but I, I do believe in public shunning. You know, I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think we should should ignore people um, like, let's say, Ann Coulter or, uh, you know, any of the any of the extremists, because we have to be aware of what they're doing in order to combat it. And we also can't just give them that last word that has absolutely no um, counter argument to what they're doing. I think we have to point those people out and explain why their opinions or why whatever you know they're saying is wrong. Um, but I also feel like there are certain kinds of people, like, for instance, ex-former President Trump, just shunning him, just not giving him, you know, don't give him the airtime, don't put a microphone in front of his face, take all of his assets away, um, and, and, and leave him on his own. You know, he's he's not right. in jail, but he, you know, he thrives, as we know, he thrives on all this attention. He loves it. Right. It's what he lives for. And, it, and taking that away from him is more of like a I guess you could call it like a karmic punishment so that he right. he may never in this life have a full understanding of what he did. But he might have an opportunity to regret some of his decisions, even if it's just based on right. self-pity. You know, but
1: and the thing about that, you know, this I'll throw in too when you say take take away, you know, obviously, I have to throw in, you know, after there's been the due process. And the thing about the due process is, you know, some of his money crimes go too far back for, you know, there's, I think, I don't know what statute of limitations are, but usually we'd be out of that by now. But if somehow there's a public accounting that this is the money that he got this way, and this is the money that he got illegally, and this is the money he has to forfeit, and how little of his money he got. Honestly, mm-hmm.
2: uh,
1: then, right. And, but that's, that's his terror. His terror is that the taxes are going to come out, that, yeah. that we're going to, we're going to see the truth. And because he's, the other thing he does well is he's, he, he's all about branding. He's all about yeah. public image. I mean, he, he's created, he's an actor. He plays the part of a successful businessman for a long time. He w- persuaded people that he was a successful businessman. And so, the truth is not his friend. Mm-hmm. So he needs to, he needs to keep, keep the image up. So as soon as all that comes out, I mean, if it's, if it's possible, um, I don't know, New York is supposed to be able to get his tax returns. I don't know yeah. what happened with that. But, um, but yeah, those, that kind of, a, of accountability makes sense to me. I think it's important for people to remember, um, you know, to keep in mind that, you know, punishment is difficult and accountability is difficult and ultimately a bloodbath in twenty twenty is um I mean that's that's also holding them accountable.
0: Right. Right. Not
1: as not as much it doesn't seem fair if that's it and I imagine there will be more. Um that I I do think that there will be impeachment. I just think it's um it's going slower than a lot of people. Right. Yeah. Because despair. I think we've
0: been feeling as if we've been tortured as a nation for several years and we want we want some kind of justice. And I think that, you know, I mean, in, in many cases, you know, everybody has their own opinions about what justice is. Um, some people want violent justice. Some people want, you know, incarceration. Other people are talking about what well, we're talking about, strip of all the assets. But, um, I, I think that, you know, like there's this, there's a gif But it's from the show um, Breaking Bad, where one of the characters repeats over and over again, he can't keep getting away with this. He can't get... We're seeing him getting away with things. And he's able to do it where other presidents or other members of Congress would not have been. I mean, look at what happened to Al Franken. You know, he has a a couple of... You know, I I, I think the number might have been seven. I'm not positive. But there were evidently seven women who came out against him. And then, you know, he, he asked for for an investigation but ultimately stepped down. So, you know, whatever you think of Al Franken whether you think he was guilty or not there was some kind of an accountability for actions for his actions. Where Trump, you know, was just accused of rape and the media shrugs its shoulders because they realize that he, you know, they call him don the, what do they call him like the the Teflon Don. So, he gets to, everything just slips right off. Granted, he has the protection of the presidency and he has the protection of William Barr. Um, And most people don't have that. They don't have the Department of Justice backing them up. But still, there are, um, you know, we've witnessed other people being held accountable for actions where Trump is not. But you know what? I want to get in this because we're we're talking for almost an hour and 15 minutes now. Um, I want to talk about Mueller and see, you know, what you think next Wednesday is going to be all about. And I'm just wondering, I mean, we touched on this in the beginning, but um, what do you think the difference will be um, after listening to his testimony? Because as far as I'm understanding it, he's not really going to talk about anything other than what's in the report. Um, but since people aren't all you know, so familiar with what's in the report, um, what will the difference, what do you think could be the difference of his testimony?
1: Well, all he really has to do is repeat the, his findings. If people, ha- if it hasn't sunk into the public consciousness what he found, he should just have to repeat it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Whether we talked at the beginning about whether that's going to move the needle or not, I, I can't predict. Yeah. it should, it should, and um, hopefully it will. Hopefully, what happens is that now there's another thing to remember that it's not just. Muller answering questions from Democrats, but the Republicans are going to do their yeah. best to create theater. So, remember when um, when Michael Cohen died? Yes. Yeah, that. Yeah, so, the beginning
0: when all the Republicans wanted to um, discount um, the whole thing because of I can't remember some last minute. What, I can't remember the deal, but they wanted, to, they wanted to call everything off because they said that the Democrats didn't do something on a, in, in a timely fashion. Right. And
1: then during, also during the testimony, they kept undermining it. Yeah. So, so every time – so we're, gonna, we're also going to see that. So it's not just Mueller. I mean, if, if, if we didn't have Fox News and this very, very well-oiled propaganda machine – and we didn't have – and Trump were not, was not being shielded by the Republicans, then we wouldn't have a problem in the first place. Right. So the whole problem we have – so what should have happened under the Constitution is as soon as it was clear that, um, that Russia meddled, as soon as it was clear that there was all that uh, point, uh, coordination between the Trump campaign and the Russians – as soon as all the lawbreaking became clear very early in 2017, the Republicans should have conducted a meaningful investigation, gotten to the truth, and removed Trump. Mm-hmm. That's what should have happened. Instead, what they is they undermined the investigations and they shielded Trump. And so that's the source of the problem. People want to blame Pelosi. People want to blame the Democrats. People want to blame the media. The problem really is that the republicans in congress did not do what they were supposed to do and so the same thing is going to have the same thing could happen that just the same as they undermined the investigations early on we could watch the republicans in congress undermining the questioning
0: huh yeah that's going to happen
1: right so it's, so it, it could be a circus so, again, it's like it, like it loops back to the very same problem. If, in 2016, I would have thought that Mueller taking the stand and giving these conclusions would entirely change the needle. But now that I've watched how the congressional Republicans can undermine the truth, how they can sabotage, how they can create the political theater, how they can, and then how they can spin it on their, their right-wing media – I'm no longer so confident that it's going to move the needle. And because we have the same forces working against us that we had when Mitch McConnell closed his eyes to the Russian interference.
0: Right. Well, you know, I'll, I'll go on the hopeful side here and say that um, the five minute press conference that Mueller did uh, a few weeks ago moved the needle. Um, and, and what I'm hoping for is that, you know, there's, like you said, there's that number has been pretty solid around 40, 42% of people supporting Trump. So there are a lot of people out there who are going to, um, you know, whether they're watching Fox news or listening to Mark Levin or Levine or whatever his name is, um, you know, Ben Shapiro, well, Ben Shapiro is like a never Trump. I think he's a never Trump or he doesn't like Trump, but still, I think there are, um, I think there's going to be a certain amount of people that no matter what is said, they're just going to be for Trump or against Trump. But I think what we're looking at here are not necessarily the Fox News watchers. I think what we're looking at are, A, people who did not vote in um, 2016, which was basically half the country. And I mean, I don't know how many of them are going to be tuning in, but I think we have a better shot at educating those people with a public testimony. And then we also have the... um, the combination of independent voters and then the Democrats who voted for Obama and then voted for Trump. So I think that that's the audience that we have to count on if we're going to mm-hmm. push the needle in favor of impeachment. So um, And actually,
1: I'll end on one more positive note, because I can throw out one more reason why the needle could move significantly. Trump's support has gone as low as 36% and a half percent, down from 42. It did go that low. And I think it went low twice. It went low once when he shut down the government. Mm -hmm. The other time it went low, if I'm recalling, I think it was was, um, January 2017, when the Mm -hmm. the results first started coming out of the Mueller investigation. I think that was right after Flynn pleaded guilty, right after Papadopoulos. He went to his lowest. And so one of the other things that could give us hope is like you said. There are people who aren't going to move. It's pretty. It, it's pretty hardened. But since he did go down to thirty six point five percent once, those people could. It, it because it happened once. There are people who could come back yeah. to that same opinion. And if he goes down to thirty six and a half percent, if he starts to get down into the mid thirties, that number could point to even removal in the Senate. I think if it goes down to 33, 34 percent, I think removal in the Senate is is a very strong possibility. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. One more strong point that he, he has been that. So he has been that low in the past. So it could
0: happen, right? And I think that also, if I'm not mistaken, there was a Buzzfeed article that um, Mueller said didn't happen the way they described it. Or I can't remember. He didn't say that it wasn't true, but I think that it was that the the Buzzfeed article came out mm-hmm. saying that he was an agent, that Trump was an agent of Putin or something, working for the Russian government. And and then after that came out, uh, Mueller said something along the lines of, well, um, that's not exactly what I said or whatever. But he, he, he didn't say that BuzzFeed was wrong altogether, except that they were wrong on how they were framing it when it related to Mueller. But that information that initially, yeah, that the initially uh, that came out that Trump was an agent of a foreign Adversary brought his numbers down. So perhaps there's hope in the idea that more people start jumping on the bandwagon of the truth, and that you know they did work with the Russian government. I mean, he keeps screaming no collusion. That's collusion is all over the place. And whether collusion or not is illegal really isn't the point. It's like, are we? I mean, because if you if you pose the question to any any of these people that support Trump and say, well, would you be happy if Barack Obama? worked with a foreign adversary, I mean, they'll argue, well, he already did. But I mean, is that okay with you? No, of course not. It would not be okay with them. So I do think there are going to be, you know, there will always be the immovable right. sides. And then there's going to be that middle area where that's the most important and, and how, you know, it really just depends. I think this testimony, how it's conducted, how the Democrats anticipate what the Republicans are going to try to pull with their, you know, counters and undermining it all. I, I do hope that the Democrats are ready for that. And, you know, I mean, it should be interesting, but I do think that there's, we, really, I say there's hope. I, I, I my listeners know this, but I lived in Soviet Russia in 1980, 81. I was in seventh grade and I, I, uh, attended American, uh, Anglo-American school. And I was only there for like one solid school year. And I was 12, but I witnessed firsthand what it's like to be in a in a police state. And I, you know, when I realized what happened with this election and understanding that Putin comes from KGB, I'm certainly no expert in, you know, communism or Soviet uh Tactics and all that. Other than that, I lived there and I saw it with my own eyes. And I watched a nation of of individuals too afraid to speak out, and basically just accept what was done to them. And I told my boyfriend, who's in politics, um, you know, I said, what really worries me is that people in this country, while we, you know, have experienced a certain amount of freedom and and all that, I don't know that that's enough to save us from what Putin has planned. Obviously, when he doesn't want to take us to to a Soviet kind of a situation, he wants to just like what you were saying, oligarchy, um, what they have now, Uh, everything for the top and and nothing for everybody else. And so um, I recognize, you know, my main fear about all of this, and this is kind of a downer, but I mean, my main fear is that I believe in the American people and I believe that there will be enough people to show up and vote against Trump, but what do the Russians have planned? And in 2016, um, they were successful in their efforts. While they were not the only um, part of, you know, reason why he got elected, they were certainly um, effective in, in their manipulation of our media and all of that. But at that point, they did not have access to the White House. And now they do. And I don't know exactly how far they've gone in taking advantage of that. I mean, we, we do know some things, but, you know, we don't know everything. And, and so that's kind of where I feel like we're biting our nails until 2020. But 2020 up, you know, I mean, as providing that we can win this, I believe we do have hope. And I hope that enough Americans um, just show up to vote and have a plan. You know, just because I think if it's the numbers too large to ignore, I think we can overcome any kind of interference from foreign adversaries, which basically Trump has invited to help him. So, you know, it's, I agree. I yeah. agree.
1: We also know a lot more. We yes. know a lot more than we did in 2016. Yeah, so and that that's helps. That's also why why Mueller's testimony is going to be valuable. We didn't we didn't know what was happening. I didn't understand what was happening. Right.
0: Me neither. Until and so since
1: we didn't didn't know, and now we do know. There's, um, And I don't think Putin has tricks in the bag that we don't know about because everything he did in 2016, he tried out first in Ukraine. So huh. okay. we've seen it. Once it's pointed out, then we see it. And people are, people are watching now. So I'm, I'm pretty hopeful. Uh, will there be cheating in 2020? Yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, will, will will the cheating be enough? I really don't think so. I really think that the the midterms were a pretty good indication of where things are going. Is it scary? Are we in danger? Yes. But hopefully that just makes people more more vigilant and more involved right. and um, taking more responsibility.
0: Yes, don't get happy, don't make absolutely no assumptions. Vote like you're mm-hmm. the only vote that matters. Like you know, I mean, mm-hmm. that's what I always push on this show, having a plan. I mean, we're, we're over a year away. Get the time off of work, vote early, whatever you have to do, make sure. And then, you know, Sarah Kendzior also pointed out, um, you know, in the last election cycle, there were people who were, say, ind- independents, and they registered to vote as Democrats. And then the day they showed up to vote it had been switched over to Republican. So she recommended that, you know, and I recommend too, make sure you know how you're registered before you, if you're going to physically walk in to vote, make sure you're registered properly and take a picture from your computer proving if you, if you've registered Democrat and it says Democrat, because if you show up, um, and it says Republican, you want to have some kind of proof to back up what you're Mm -hmm. saying. So, um, Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you ended on a hopeful note because sometimes I can get kind of dark.
1: <laughs> I, get, I get scared well, we did, and worried. It, it went that low once. It, it did go that low yeah. once. And that's, that, if, that, if it went that low again, we'd see a sea change because yeah. there are a lot of moderate Republicans and um, members of Congress, House, House of Representatives, who if, if he sinks down to 35, 36 yeah. percent, they're going to take notice.
0: Well, you've made me feel hopeful, and I, and you know, pointing out the fact, I, I like to always remind myself, 2018 is a good indicator. I think it's easier to manipulate a general election, but at the same time, um, as you pointed out, we Americans were not aware so much of what was happening, despite the fact that Hillary Clinton was telling us, uh, we were not aware. So now more of us are aware, and less of us are falling for some of the um, tactics that they're, they're using online. And, you know, at some point, I'd love to have you back, especially as we get closer to the election to talk about, um, what to look out for with disinformation. I'd I'd
1: like to tell your, your listeners that I do voter protection. I, as a volunteer lawyer in 2016, 2018, I'll be doing it again. And there are a lot of things people can do. I have, um, I have a page on my website called things to do on my blog page and people can become registrar for voters. People can become um, precinct captains. Elections are held locally. Votes are tabulated locally. And so everybody should just go get involved, go find out, go find out how it's done. If nothing else, you know, volunteer to be one of the poll workers. And if you're a lawyer, there are plenty of ways. Um, I was ready to go to they had that fiasco in Florida with the recap mm-hmm. in two thousand eighteen. I was ready to go as a volunteer, paying my own way. And they were so disorganized over there they couldn't even tell me which airport to wow. fly into. So um so the the voter protection groups just need to some places are very organized. Florida just really wasn't. Right. Well that's and not surprising. So yeah, no surprise, right? I mean, they couldn't even tell me. They could not tell me which airport to go to, and it's a big state. That's ridiculous. So I couldn't, I couldn't go. Yeah. Um, because I'm not going to get to Florida and start driving around. Right, so just, just aimlessly. It. Yeah. So, um, but the, but that's local politics. Yeah. That's local politics. So I just want to urge everybody: if you have any volunteer time in the next year and however many months, find out how your local elections are conducted and get involved. Absolutely,
0: and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put your um, information in the text of the description of this podcast along with your um, uh, Twitter handle, which, by the way, is Terry, and that's T-E-R-I underscore Canefield, which is K-A-N-E-F-I-E-L-D. Follow Terry on Twitter because she's, as you can see, fascinating, and she has um, so many interesting uh, analysis and, and, you know, you're 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 so valuable in this time so i appreciate you talking to us and like i said i really would love to have you back um a little later on as we move forward so that you can help us understand what kind of disinformation or what is disinformation and how to combat it successfully i know you have all kinds of information on that and um basically just thank you for being on the show
1: well thank you for having me
0: Um, All right. Well, then uh, don't forget to follow me, Author Kimberly. And that's L-E-Y. And that's at Author Kimberly. And then my host, who was not here today, but she's um, at Lady Brain Show. And we will just talk to you next week. Thank you, Terry, again. And we'll see you next time. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.